So 
king of my heart be the fire inside my veins the echo of my days oh he is my song sing it again let the king of my heart be the wind inside my sails the anchor in the waves oh he is my song the king of my heart be the fire inside my veins the echo of my days oh he is my song because you are good you're good oh you are good you're good
majesty let all the earth rejoice let all the earth rejoice he wraps himself in light and darkness tries to hide and trembles at his voice and trembles at his voice how great is our god sing with me how great is our god all will see how great how great is our god King of kings and Lord of lords, we praise you for who you are. Lord, you're the God of the universe. You're the God that created all of this. And, and Lord God, you sent, Father God, you sent your son to redeem all of this for whosoever would. Whosoever would admit and confess that they're a sinner, that they need you, that would believe in your name. 
would be saved, Lord. We thank you, God, for being creator, redeemer, baptizer, healer. Lord, you're all that we need. And Father, today, Lord, we, we unite our hearts once again, Lord, for the nation of Ukraine. Lord, for the conflict, Lord, for the battle that's going on, Lord. We realize this is not just a physical conflict, Lord, but that this is spiritually propelled. And Father, we, we pray right now for the tearing down of strongholds. Lord God, I pray that the evil one would be crushed, Lord. I pray, God, that you would be lifted up, that you'd be honored. Lord, that when this is over, God, that you would receive the glory. And I thank you for the, for the church's response around the world to ministry, especially to, to our brothers and sisters and even the lost, those that, that are now refugees from Ukraine, those that are still there in that nation, Lord. I, I, I thank you for the church's response, Lord, of love and compassion, support. Lord, I pray that we not forget them, Lord. And God, for other parts of the world where, where, where our brothers and sisters are, are under oppression, Lord, we pray, God, that that would change, Lord. God, that you would come against the hand of the enemy. Lord, that you would do what we cannot do in the flesh, Lord. And we ask for that this morning, Lord. We intercede this morning. Lord, we pray, God, that you would do this by your mighty power and for the sake of your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Oh, by the way, too, if you want to, you can pray for Pastor Hans and Pastor Brandon. Um, pray for me, too, because I am here alone today and this week. I know. It's been a long time. They both bailed on me at the same time. Uh, I'm, I'm, you know, in, in, in our setting, vacation time, if you don't use it, you lose it. We don't pay it out, and you're not getting an early retirement somewhere. And so, uh, you know, they finally decided on a week they wanted, and it happened to be the same days. So pray for me. Anyways, uh, if you are new here today, we have these connect cards in the seat back in front of you. We'd love it if you'd fill it out as completely as you can, as legibly as you can. At the end of service, go out to the information desk, and we have a nice bag full of gifts we'd like you to take home. Just to say thank you for being here. Thank you for letting us know that you were here. So do that today before you leave. And, uh, and then now I'd like us to honor the Lord with our offering. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you, Lord, for this opportunity to give you praise, to give you worship, Lord, by bringing to you the offerings, the tithe and the offering that is due you. And Lord, I pray that you would bless this offering. I pray that you bless each giver today in Jesus' name. Amen. The head that once was crowned with is clowned with glory now the savior now to wash our feet now at his feet we bow the one who wore our sin and shame now robed in shines for all to
Well, before we get into the Word this morning, um, some announcements. Trying to do these chronologically. This Tuesday, although Pastor Hans is on vacation, he's taking the youth to the beach. Okay, so remember, that is Tuesday. It's in the bulletin. I didn't want someone leaving or thinking, oh, Pastor Hans is away, and I guess it's been canceled, and I don't know about it. No, it's going to happen Tuesday. Hopefully the weather will uh, oblige, but it's 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. And uh, then Wednesday night, starting a brand new Wednesday night Bible study, and I'll be kicking this off this Wednesday called Judgment Call. We're going to learn how to be judgmental or how to properly judge, something like that. I, you'll be there, okay? And then uh, two weeks from yesterday, we have our uh, honor-bound men and boys cookout and swim and all that. Uh, that's in the bulletin. There are also some handouts on the table out there full of information so if you need to know what to bring and what time to be there, it's all there. So hope you'll make way. That's August 13. Hope you'll be with us. So as promised, today I want to begin a series on the book of Ephesians, Paul's letter to the Ephesian church. And we're going to start obviously in chapter 1. And I want you to keep this one thought in mind each week as we study Paul's letter to the Ephesians. Ephesians is a letter given to us by God. Okay, when, you know, when we say Paul wrote this, all scripture is inspired by God. Amen. It's all God breathed. It's all God's words. Paul is the one who penned them, wrote them down. We get to keep them. But it's the word of God to us, written by the Apostle Paul. And it is there, this chapter, this book in particular, to help us to find our true identity as Christians. And so let's begin this morning by reading the first 14 verses. Ephesians 1, verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world, to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. To the praise of his glorious grace which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. And he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times will have reached their fulfillment, to bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, Having believed, you are marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. Heavenly Father, I pray, God, that you would, Lord, that, that today you would open our hearts and our minds to your word. Lord, I pray that there be nothing, there won't be any physical distraction here this morning, but nothing in our minds that would pull us away from really hearing the voice of your Holy Spirit through your word. God, I pray your anointing, not just upon my lips, but upon these ears and these hearts to receive everything you have for us today in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Now, there are three main items here that I want you to be aware of from this first chapter this morning. First, obviously, is found in verse 1. The apostle wrote these words. He said, as we began, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God. By the will of God. It's a very simple statement. At first glance, it seems to be nothing more than a customary greeting, 
a salutation, a very appropriate opening for a first century letter. That's about how you would write a letter in those days. And, and, and yet I don't want us to overlook, I don't want us to bypass the significance of this one verse or its content simply because of its brevity. It's, it's just one verse. It's very short. But look at this verse again. Can you see what could be so significant here? Can you see what could possibly be so important in this verse? The important element here is not that Paul is an apostle, but rather that he knows the reason that he's an apostle. Do you see this? He, he, he is not an apostle because he aspires to be one. He's not an apostle because he declares that he's one or that others think he ought to be one. He is an apostle. He is doing what he is doing because he knows it to be the will of God for his life. And he states that right up front. I want you to turn back just, just a little bit to, in your Bible, the first, verse, the first verse of Galatians chapter 1. Let's go over to Galatians for a moment. We're going to be in Ephesians all morning, but we're just going to divert this, this once to Galatians chapter 1. And I want you to notice with me how deliberate Paul is in making this truth understood among the Galatian believers. Now, he just stated this to the Ephesians, but he also said the same, a similar thing, even more definitively, to the Galatians. When he wrote them that letter, and this is Galatians 1.1, it says, Paul, an apostle, sent not from men, nor by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. There wasn't some earthly committee that decided, Paul, you've got all the gifts. Paul, you're the man. Paul, you've got all the training under Gamaliel. You are, you know, this isn't by men. It's not from men. It is by, the, it's, it's by Jesus Christ. And God the Father, it said, who raised him from the dead. And this is obviously more than just a greeting in a New Testament letter. Paul's making it clear that what he is doing with his life is in full accordance. It's in complete obedience to the very will of God. He's an apostle because of the will of God and the call of God in his life, and he has chosen to obey that call. Now, let's, let's go back. This is Galatians 1 again. I want us to skip over to verse 11, Galatians 1:11. He says, I want you to know, brothers, that the gospel I preached is not something that, was, that man made up. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my previous way of, of life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many Jews my own age and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. But when God, who set me apart from birth and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles. You see, with this in mind and with Paul as our example, I want you to consider a very interesting and a very important question this morning. Are you living your life in the will of God? I mean, you may be living an okay life. There's no rapids you're going through right now. There's no trauma. There's no uh, opposition. There's no obstacles that you're facing. Everything's, you know, just fine. No, I'm asking you to ask this one very important question. Are you really living your life in the will of God? Are you doing what God wants you to do? Well, yeah, pastor, I go to church. I, read, I do all the basic, you know, all the Christian disciplines. I'm, I'm a good parent. I'm, no, no. Are you living your life in the will of God? of God. And so do you know, do you really know that where you are is the will of God? For example, think about your current profession, your vocation, your calling. Is it in line with God's will for you? Can you see God's purpose in what you're doing? You know, there was a tremendous film that came out in 1981, a long time ago, Chariots of Fire. How many remember that movie? But I'll tell you what, if you're the younger, if you're millennial and haven't seen it, you gotta, you gotta, it's probably too old for Netflix, but find it somewhere. Chariots of Fire. It was about the life of Eric Little. His participation in the 1924 Olympics. He was a second born son of Scottish missionaries to China. And he fully intended to go to China someday as a missionary himself. But God had gifted him 
with this unique ability to run, and I mean run fast. In fact, they nicknamed him the Flying Scotsman. But anyways, in, in the film, there are a couple of issues of conflict that are highlighted in the film. And you really, you, you, know, you want to have a good movie, you've got to have some conflict, right? And so there are a couple issues here. One concerns his unwillingness to run in a race against a Jewish opponent because a race is going to be run on the Christian Sabbath, the Lord's Day, on a Sunday. And he refuses to compete on Sunday. Now, think about how far we've come today. As Christians, we do a lot of things on Sunday. And he refused. And so he basically forfeited that race. His, his opponent won the race very easily because Eric chose that day to preach in a church in Paris instead of running. Now, Little, Little is going to run two more and more difficult races. His specialty was the 100-yard, 100-meter. But he was awarded the bronze medal in the 200-meter, and he won the gold in the 400-meter. God honored that. God honored that. He actually came in gold in his most difficult, challenging race. Now, the other issue of conflict in the film, and the one I want to draw your attention to, because it, it, it applies to all of us today, is that those around him, his Christian friends in particular, were very concerned. They were very afraid that he'd become so famous as a runner that he would never go to China as a missionary, that the fame would go to his head, that it would ruin him. They were, they were truly fearful about this. They were concerned that he would forsake his true calling to be a missionary. But you see, Eric Little knew his own level of commitment. And yet he saw running as part of what God had called him to do. That he wasn't just called to be a missionary, but because he was fast, he really believed that this running and being in the Olympics was part of God's plan for his life. In fact, there's a line in the movie that is so powerful. And, and in defending his character and his desire to run and believing that winning could be a testimony for God, this is what Eric Little says in the movie. He says, I believe that God made me for a purpose. But he's also made me fast. Isn't that great? And when I run, I can feel his pleasure. Can you imagine? And when I run, I feel his pleasure. Eric Little did win at running. And he, and he did garner God's favor. And I want you to know this, that following the Olympics, he traveled to China as a missionary. And he died there while interned in a Japanese prison labor camp in February of 1945. He died for his faith. Today, his body is in a grave at the Mausoleum of Martyrs in Shizhuang, China. Can you see how we can enjoy the will of God? We can enjoy the will of God. And can you see the will of God can be bigger than just one single aspect of our lives? Eric understood this, that, that running was something he was good at. He felt good about it. God gave him favor in it. But it wasn't his ultimate calling. It was just part of it. Running brought him great satisfaction. But his calling to be a missionary was the ultimate in fulfillment. And as I already told you, not only did he win a gold medal in the 1924 Olympics, but he also won the highest award possible for any child of the king. He ran the race of life in a glorious fashion and therefore has received the crown of righteousness from the king of kings. As the apostle Paul once wrote to Timothy, 2 Timothy 4, 6, he said, for I am already being poured out like a drink offering and the time has come for my departure. This is the last time that Paul will write anyone the time has come for my departure. Verse 7, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. And now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but, to also, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. So again, I want to remind you, I want to caution you. The truth of God's word tells us that nothing in this world will ever bring us complete and total fulfillment. You know, th those words in the third song we sang this morning, said nothing in this world, nothing in this world can satisfy. Nothing in this world is ever going to bring us total fulfillment. Nothing. It's impossible. 
Because it all has to do with how we have been made, how we've been created. Please, you know, folks, the best employment in the world will not make you happy. Marrying the right person will not totally fulfill you. Having children, living in the right home, all of these things are wonderful blessings from the Lord, but none of these are meant to complete us. Please grab hold of this. Each one of those things can satisfy for a while. Each one can bring us partial pleasure. Nothing wrong with them at all. But that's the best that they can do. Because you see, they weren't ever designed to do or to be anything more. You and I were designed in such a way that there's only one thing that will ultimately satisfy. And it all begins with our relationship with Jesus Christ as our Lord and as our Savior. The author of Hebrews in Hebrews 12, 2 says this, Let us fix our eyes, let us focus on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. The author, the initiator, and the perfecter of our faith. You know, Thomas Aquinas, about a thousand years ago now, in his Summa Theologica, wrote about it this way. He, he taught that inside every man, every woman, every child, there is a God-shaped void. There's a God-shaped hole. And although people try to fill that hole with all sorts of created material things, they're going to try to fill the void with family, with occupations, preoccupations, material possessions, whatever they can find, because it, it's insatiable. They, they try to pack these things in. But that void never gets completely filled. And so there's always this remaining discontentedness. Even believers can experience it from time to time. You know, we've got Jesus living in there, but sometimes, he, sometimes I think we get, we get distant from God and we can feel the pangs and the emptiness. The fullness of God just seems to be receding from our hearts. And that's why the Bible tells us time and time again to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And not only filled, but it tells us that we can be refilled with the presence of God. Your presence is like heaven to me. That was the last song we sang. I love how these songs just line up many times with what I'm preaching. And, and it's not that God ever leaves us. That's not what I'm saying, but it is that we sometimes do get emptied out. You could be so heavily involved in ministry that you actually do empty out near exhaustion and you need more. You need to be refilled. And then there are times too, I don't know, I think we just leak. I, I think we get careless and we allow our reserves to get low. And it's so very often at those times that what I found, when we get low, we, get, we begin to run out. You know what we do? And this is, this is so, I don't, it's, it's familiar to us, so we do it. It's comfortable, and we do it. But we, go, we head back to the things we used to do. Okay? We came to Christ. We found fulfillment in Him. We, we received His Holy Spirit. Maybe got baptized, immersed in His Holy Spirit. We, we've been filled with the Spirit time and time again. But somehow we get emptied out. And, 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 and there's a tendency for us to go back to doing the mundane. Instead of doing what he's called us to do, instead of doing what really is his will for that moment, we go back to what we're familiar with. And that's who we are as humans. And I mean, even the disciples did that. I mean, think about it. They had seen Jesus crucified. They'd seen him die. And they, of course, had also seen an empty tomb. But in the final chapter of John's gospel, we, we, we don't see them what Jesus had commanded. We don't see them doing what Jesus had commanded them to do. Again, remember, these disciples had, had been given a two-pronged, charge. One was to wait in Jerusalem for power. And the second was to become fishers of men once they'd been empowered by the Holy Spirit. But in John chapter 21, they're not in Jerusalem waiting for the Holy Spirit's arrival. In fact, they're about 60 miles away from God's will. And instead of fishing for men, they have gone back to fishing for fish. You see what happens? And it can happen to any one of us. We're, we're going to keep busy. We're going to keep busy. We're going to keep ourselves occupied because there's this, there's this dis, discontentedness inside of us. And I mean, we can be so close to God at times. And then we can also slip away very slowly. 
and then begin to seek comfort from earthly things. We'll, you know, again, we'll fill, we'll spend more family time. We'll get a job promotion. Maybe we'll move somewhere. Maybe we'll get a bigger house. And, it, and, and, and that doesn't satisfy. And then out of, out of frustration, we really turn back to God. And, and, and then we feel, we feel fulfilled again. And then we slowly can drift away. It, it, I, listen, I'm, I'm, I'm talking about my own life, okay? So I know if it happens to me, it happens to you really close to him and then you you know and and you try to you try to meet that need with worldly things not not necessarily bad things i'm not saying bad i'm not saying sinful things but something other than god anything other than god and and i want to also you know prevent any heresy from growing out of this message this morning because what i'm i'm not saying you know because you may be distant from the lord doesn't mean you've lost your salvation we're simply not enjoying the full benefits of the relationship And Jesus taught this concept. He actually taught this concept. And he did it very explicitly in the Gospels. And I want us to look at this in Matthew's Gospel, Matthew 6, verse 24. And like I said, we're going to be coming back to Ephesians. Hope you don't have any lunch plans. But Matthew 6, 24, Jesus said, no one can serve two masters. And he, and he really could have stopped there, but he, he describes what he means. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve, in this case, both God and money. Therefore, I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, about your body, what you'll wear. Is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or store, store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they are? Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? And why do you worry about clothes? Look at how the, the lilies of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. And yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So do not worry saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Amen. See how simple this is? According to Jesus, what is the source of our worries? What are the things listed here that consume our minds and our emotions? Temporal things. Clothing, food, shelter, rent payments, mortgage payments. Do I have the right clothes or, or do I need something new? I, I wish I had more money to go out to eat more often. Is my, is my house nice enough to impress my family and friends and neighbors? And, you know, we start looking at the Joneses and we get all uptight. By the way, does anybody have a neighbor named Jones? I have not yet. No one in my neighborhood has ever, nowhere. I've lived in three different locations, never. So I guess that's a safe illustration. But we get all uptight. We look at what someone else is doing. We get all uptight. We get competitive. We become discontented. And again, it's a miserable downward spiral. And possibly you've heard me share this about this treadmill we get on. But I want to I give it to you again, fresh. Okay? This is, this is the American Christian. Listen to this. The American Christian buys things they do not need with money that they do not have in order to impress people they do not like. What a waste of time and energy. And we do this. I want to read Matthew 6 to you again, this time from Eugene Peterson's translation. Listen to this. He says, If you decide for God, living a life of God worship, it follows that you don't fuss about what's on the table at mealtimes or whether the clothes in your closet are in fashion. There's far more to your life than the food you put in your stomach more to your outer appearance than the clothes you hang on your body. Look at the birds, free and unfettered, not tied down to a job description, careless in the care of God, and you count far more to him than birds. Has anyone, by fussing in front of the mirror, ever gotten taller by so much as an inch? All this time and money wasted on fashion. Do you think it makes that much difference? Instead of looking at the fashions, walk out in the fields. Look at the wildflowers. They never primp or shop. But have you ever seen color and design quite like it? The 10 best dressed men and women in the country look shabby alongside them. If God gives such attention to the appearance of wildflowers, most of which are never even seen, don't you think he'll attend to you? 
take pride in you, do his best for you. What I'm trying to do here is to get you to relax, to not be so preoccupied with getting so you can respond to God's giving. People who don't know God and the way he works fuss over all these things, but you know both God and how he works. So steep your life in God reality, God initiative, God provisions. Don't worry about missing out. You'll find all of your everyday human concerns will be met. You see, earthly concerns make us empty. Earthly concerns make us discontented. But the key to satisfaction we read about in Matthew 6, 33. It says, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these other things will be added. They'll be added unto you. They'll be given to you. And, and you know, it's such a simple verse that I think sometimes we look at that and it goes beyond conventional wisdom or goes against conventional wisdom. But it's true. That verse is true. And it's true because it's God's word and it's God's wisdom. Now, back to Ephesians chapter 1. We're going to look at verse 3. We're going to get through the whole chapter. But let's look at verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Beginning at that verse, 3, all the way through verse 14 that we read, we're being reminded by Paul to rejoice in all of the spiritual blessings that are ours. Not temporal blessings. We already dealt with that this morning. Spiritual blessings. And the beauty in this is that spiritual blessings cannot be tainted or affected by situation or circumstance. Right? If your happiness is based on temporal things, on, on the kind of house you have, the kind of clothes you wear, the kind of, you know, where you go to, all that. If it's based on that, one bad obstacle in your life, one, one bad challenge, one tough challenge, and, and you're going to be... But spiritual blessings can't be affected by situation. They're guarded. For example, it doesn't matter what's going on at work. You know, whether you have mandatory overtime and you're thoroughly exhausted or maybe just the opposite, maybe you just were informed of a layoff. I mean, either way, you still belong to God. Verse 4 says you still belong to him and you're chosen in him. You're chosen by him even from before the creation of the world. God chose you from even before the creation of the world. And, and notice the application of that verse, because some of you might be thinking, well, yeah, God chose me and he's chosen me, but that's not going to pay the bills if I lose my job. You know, really to the contrary. I want you to think about this. Do you really imagine that the God who knew you, he knew that you would exist before he even created the universe. Do you really think that he's somehow unaware or unconcerned about what you're going through in the workplace? He knows everything about you. See how ridiculous we can be in our finite minds? Really, ridiculous. Verse 5 says that he has adopted us as sons. Verse 6 says that he has bestowed upon us his grace. Verse 7, he's redeemed us by his blood. Not just animal blood as in the Old Testament, but by his own blood. John 15, 13, no greater love is any man than this, that he laid down his life for his friends. And you are my friends, Jesus said. Verse 8, he has lavished upon us wisdom and understanding. I love that word lavished. I really don't know what it means. I mean, I looked it up in dictionary, but doesn't lavish, it just sounds, I love the word, it just sounds so good. It's extravagant, it's excessive, it's full. He's lavished upon us his wisdom and understanding. Verse 9, he's made known to us his mysteries. Verse 10 through 14 tells us how he works out everything in our lives in conformity with the purpose of his will. Everything he's doing in your life is in conformity with his will for your life. And there again is a concept I began with this morning. This is where we began today's message. It's all about his will. It's all about his will and his purpose in our lives. So again, consider what God's will is for you. And, and, and you can't do that in a split second, so don't try to do it now. But, but do it later. Do it this week. Really pray. Just, if you can just pray, God, help me to know your will. Help me to stay in your will. There's no better place to be. Consider what his will is for you. And then do everything you can, everything that you can, 
to be sure that you remain in the very center of his will. And now for the real excitement of this first chapter of Ephesians, I want us to look at verse 15. Ephesians 1 verse 15. Paul continues, For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches, again, those riches of his, of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead, seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Look at the specific spiritual blessings that belong to us. This entire section is focused on authority, spiritual authority. And Paul is speaking of, out of firsthand experience. He has been through the valleys. He's hit the lowest of lows in life. He once wrote to the Corinthians and he told them this in 2 Corinthians 4.8. He said, we are hard pressed on every side, but not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. We're persecuted, but not abandoned. We're struck down, but not destroyed. Paul understood challenging times. He understood obstacles and opposition. And so Paul's not telling us, and when he writes the Ephesians, and as we read this today, he's not teaching us how to avoid spiritual challenges. He's not trying to, to convince us that we can avoid conflict. What he's trying to convince us of is that there is victory. There is authority, and therefore there is victory. All because God is willing to give us spiritual authority by putting every world power and every other spiritual power under the feet of his own son and our savior, Jesus Christ. In fact, all of it is under our feet because we know Christ. And the key to releasing this authority and activating this authority is found in verse 17 and 18 where Paul prays for the Ephesians to know Christ better, verse 17, and to have their spiritual eyes open, verse 18. I believe that these two are strategically connected. To know Christ better and have our spiritual eyes open. And the two of them together are connected to knowing the will of God for our lives. The Bible states that my people perish for lack of knowledge. And of course, people are going to suffer such sad consequences when they either, if you ignore or you violate God's word and how to live, you're going to suffer the consequences. I believe that we need to have a knowledge of God's word and a firsthand knowledge of God himself. And that's where, you know, as Pentecostal people ought to excel at that. We don't just, the, the word of God isn't just some, some sterile old history book. It's the word of God. But then there's this beauty that Pentecostal people are supposed to be enjoying, and that is experiencing God, feeling God, under, enjoying His presence. Having a knowledge that isn't just off the pages of His Word, but having a knowledge based on a relationship we have with Him. A knowledge that comes only as we fellowship and commune with Him. And the Apostle Paul had this. He wanted it for the church in Ephesus. And you know what? I want it for our church too. And so I want to close with this. Very simple guidance. Seek him. Desire to know his will for your life. And then choose to be obedient to that vision. That calling that God's given to you. I like what Paul said to King Agrippa. He was brought in when he, you know, he was to be interrogated. And Paul gave his testimony of salvation to Agrippa. And, and this, is what he, this is just one verse, Acts 26, 19. He said, So then, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the vision from heaven. You know, he told him all about his Damascus Road experience, how he was blinded by God, and then he received his sight, and he met the Savior whom he had been persecuting. 
got born again. I mean, he, he told him the whole story. And in the end, he says, so then King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the vision. Paul was obedient with his life to the will and calling of God. And so I want to encourage you to walk in the authority that's been given to you in Christ. But seek him, desire his will, and be obedient. Amen. Let's pray. Uh, Micaiah, I'd like you to come back to the keyboards and just play. I want to open this altar this morning, and I want us all to stand. I want us to find a place just to start right now. I mean, I, I want you to do this this week, but I want you to start this morning right here. Just desiring the will of God. Just going to God and saying, Lord, I really need your direction. And then, Lord, help me to be obedient to your will. And there can be individual components that all fit in. But overall, he has a will and a plan for your life. And we need to conform to that. And so let's just find a place of prayer right now. Even as we wait for some music, let's, let's just find a place of prayer and seek him. Before we leave this place, let's, let's start on this pathway of, of knowing his will. Going after his will, his desires. Hallelujah, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, God. Thank you, Lord. God, that you really do have a will for us. So we thank you, God, for, for what you did in the life of Eric Little. Lord, that there was great joy as he competitively ran, competed on an international level, and won and brought some glory to you. But more than anything, he brought glory to you when he preached. Lord, when he, when he obeyed you as a missionary to China. And Lord, I pray, God, that you, not one of us are necessarily called to live that kind of life or to give our life in a foreign land, but Lord, you do have a will. You have a plan for every one of us here this morning. Every one of us. And, and, we're, and we're not supposed to be self-guided. We're supposed to submit ourselves to you. And ask for you to lead us and guide us. Because your word tells us that you'll lead us and guide us into all truth. Your Holy Spirit is perfect. He is that helper. He's going to hold our hand. He's the one who walks alongside of us. He'll give us guidance. Lord, that we're, we're to allow your Holy Spirit to lead us. And to guide us. To walk alongside of us. And Lord, I know there are times when we, we, we get just so worldly-minded, so earthly-minded that we drift away. And Lord, if anyone's in that situation, God, I pray that today there'd be a new, fresh hunger in their hearts that they'd realize that you're the only way. Lord, you're going to allow us to do some of the things that we want to do. And Lord, it, 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 doesn't, it doesn't bear your discipline or your correction because it's, not, it's nothing severe. But Lord, it is a distraction in our life. And I pray that those things would fall to the wayside that you would be everything. That you'd be everything. That we would want your will more than anything in our life. It wouldn't just be our own strategy, our own machinations. It wouldn't just be our own plans. But Lord, it would be you. God, it would be you. And we could have such confidence knowing that we're right where you want us to be. In that school system. Maybe in that carpentry shop. Maybe working for that plumbing company. Or whatever it might be. But that's where you want us to be. And that we would be sensitive to the nudging, the provoking of your Holy Spirit. To give testimony to you. Even as Eric Little gave testimony to you as an Olympic gold medalist. And Lord, we don't, we don't aspire to world fame. But we simply want... We simply want to want your will. And I pray that you would, God, I pray you'd provoke everyone in this room this morning to seek that this week. Hallelujah, Lord. Thank you, God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, we want what you want, God. Lord, help us. Help us to want what you want. Help us to know your will and to be obedient to your will. Hallelujah, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Let's all stand together. Father, I do pray, God, your best for your people. Lord, I pray that your will be done on this earth, even as it is in heaven. I pray that your will be done in our lives, even as it is in heaven. And I pray now your blessing on your people, Lord, as we leave this place. 
Continue to speak to us this week, I pray, with this message, what we've heard today. Again, bless your people in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you.